So mobile. And there's more texture variation too. Like with a big pie, once you get past the crust on the outside, it's all just like a wet, sloppy mess. You know? <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Educated But Confused, the podcast where good science meets good conversation casually. We're your hosts, Val, Avery, and Yasin. All right. Hello. My name is Yasin, background in engineering, currently training in neuroscience, uh, pronouns he, him, his. And today what I'm confused about is osmosis. And it's because I got off caffeine and so I bought a decaf coffee and I was like, how do they make coffee decaf? Like are there beans that aren't caffeinated? But it turns out they have this like Swiss water osmosis. And I just want to know how they extract specific molecules from a substance out, like the, the input-output process, like how mm-hmm. it's made kind of thing. Yeah. Of like, because osmosis is used in a lot of like food processing to like take certain things out of food. So I'm like, how the heck does that work? So yeah. I want to learn more about that. Mm-hmm. I think I know someone you could talk to about this. Really? Yeah. Second week, the second podcast. <laughs> My <laughs> undergrad orgo teacher, Glenn Miller, has a coffee company called Cough V, and he infuses coffee with resveratrol, which is like part of like an antioxidant red wine that has that like heart health benefit that oh, yeah. red oh, wine wow. put all their marketing on to be like, have a glass <laughs> of wine every day. It helps your heart. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and so he he probably would know all about it. Okay, yeah, send me his email. I will. I feel like it'd be very. <laughs> I'll, I'll do. This it. is a network heavy podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One time, one of my friends, Cat, went to his office hours, and then because we found his coffee company at like two a.m. while we were studying for one of his quizzes. Studying. And we saw <laughs> two a.m. studying. <laughs> and we saw like a video, like we we learned about his coffee company because we looked him up. And we're like, no way. And then we found an interview of him talking about his coffee and we were just freaking out. (laughs) Mm. And so then when she went to office hours, she asked him about it and he gave her a whole bag of coffee. That's so sweet. Oh, that's cool. Right? Yeah. And it's about his beans. (laughs) He's a great guy. He's a great teacher. So That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I'll follow up. It's cool. <laughs> and um, today I'm drinking green tea. Avery made it for me. Thank you so much. It's actually and Irish breakfast tea. <laughs> Irish breakfast tea. But it's tea. decaffeinated. Okay. Well, there you go. Staying consistent with the decaf vibes. Wow. Um, Look at that. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Well, my name is Val. Educated in psychology, health, and mathematics. Uh, he, him, his as pronouns. And I am confused about keeping in line with food. Um Waffle fries? Waffle like, fries. not the fry itself. I get that it's a potato. <laughs> but I, I don't know if you've ever looked at the the cut of a waffle fry. Yeah, it's in that waffle but, shape. Right. It's Well, yeah, it's in the waffle shape. But it's like there's a, a, a specific pattern on one side and then the reverse of that pattern on the other side. Mm. And I imagine there's like a tool, right? I don't know what the tool is in order to cut it that way. So I'm very confused about how they get the shape of the waffle fry. I think you might need to work at Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But see, I bet I would bet that those well, I guess I don't know. I I would bet that those come frozen from a Chick-fil-A factory. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Where so, they cut them. So you wouldn't know the machine. Right. Because mm. like when I worked at McDonald's in high school, we didn't cut our own fries. They just came frozen. This is new. And, to we me. Fried, and then we fried them. You don't cut them in-house? No, no, we don't cut them in-house. <laughs> Uh, and I imagine like some restaurants do, 
but again, I don't. I I've never worked at those restaurants, so I have no idea. I, I don't know why I'm going on so long about waffle fries, no. but like. I, would, I mean, it would be kind of nice to know the device because then you can make them at yeah, home. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> like, I want waffle fries more often than I get waffle fries. <laughs> you know? You could put mashed potatoes in a waffle maker and then just, like, leave oh, the waffle maker on for yo, a while. That is so that. smart. Get, get like, a mini one, one of those I don't mini know if waffle that's makers. actually possible, but I have a mini waffle maker if you want to borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, it would be like a potato pancake almost. Yeah. But, like, a potato waffle. Wow. I wonder if that's a thing, Gage. Maybe we should get a patent. (laughs) Yeah, we really should. Yeah, I feel like that would be how they might actually make waffle fries. Yeah. Like, it's not just like, like, they're not cutting straight potato. They're, like, taking mashed up potatoes. Yeah. Because what if there is no cutting device? What if it is poured into, like, this mold? Yeah. Liquid potato. And they just stand it together. Next waffle fry. Interesting. I don't know. Do you like waffle fries? Oh my god, I love them. Specifically, <laughs> what you look like you have an opinion about that. No, I have no opinion. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, uh, specifically, sweet potato waffle fries. Those are like, mm. as far as I'm concerned, those are top tier. Those are top tier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a, the, I get them pre-made yeah. in the bag. What about <laughs> so it? So sweet. Is superior to like just a regular sweet potato fry? Do you think for you? Um, I think it's more whimsical. Whimsical. Yeah. So it's just the, the waffle aspect the of it. The aesthetics? Not the aesthetics, but the way it makes me feel. You know? It makes me feel like a kid inside, and I don't get that very often nowadays. So <laughs> the waffle fry is superior in my eyes. Oh, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm just drinking water. Um, it just didn't, water? It didn't feel pertinent to include because it is so boring. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's too early in the morning for me for anything else. Um, not that it's that early, but I don't know. Sometimes juice does, doesn't hit it at 10, 10 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I didn't get enough water over the weekend so far. So mm. rehydrating. Yeah. Yep. You say it's the most boring, but it is also the most important. It is. It is so, the most. It's probably yeah. the most boring flavor wise. Yes. Yeah. That's true. But as far as like things that I drink, this is by far and away the most important and the thing that I consume the most of. That's for true. sure. Stay hydrated. Exactly. Yeah. There's sometimes when like good water tastes better than anything in the world. Oh though. my gosh! Yeah, that's a good point. Just like hitting different, you're so dehydrated, and like after like a run or something. Yeah. Um, or my my favorite's like a 3 a.m. probably coming right out of oh, REM sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. You wake up and you're like, oh, chug. I just need something. <laughs> yep. 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 So relatable. <laughs> <laughs> that literally happened to me Saturday morning or whatever. Because yeah. I went to a wedding Friday and I had four wines and that was too many wines uh, for me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so I woke up at 3 a.m. and I was like, I need water. <laughs> when you say four wines, glasses or bottles? <laughs> <laughs> glasses. If I had bottles, I would not be here today. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's a good specification, though. Yeah, we need to know. Wines is very nondescript. <laughs> Four servings of wine, according to whoever was pouring wine at the wedding. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Avery. Pronouns they, them. I'm educated in neuroscience, like undergrad and grad. And I am confused about weddings specifically in weddings like the wedding that i went to friday the which i guess this is typical i don't know 
weddings have a lot of tradition in them. Mm-hmm. And so on the the bri- if you were at the wedding for the bride, you have to sit on the left side. And then if you're at the wedding for the groom, then you sit on the right side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and we <laughs> went in and we didn't know because we were early, like being <laughs> on time. And we went on to the left side because the sun was like hitting the left side. It was cold. So we we're like, yeah, we'll sit there. And then it was announced later when people were really filing in, like, yep, yeah, like bride this side, groom this side. And then we had to get, <laughs> we moved to the groom side. Yeah. And, but then they were, this is such a long story, then they were standing to get married and the bride was on the left. So she's facing the right. And the groom's on the right facing the left. So if you're on the groom's side, you don't see the groom's face. And if you're on the bride's side, you don't see the bride's face. And like, yeah. And so I was just like, I don't get it. But Is it, was it a religious wedding? I don't, I've never no, heard it of wasn't. it. That's really interesting. Yeah. Has anyone heard, interacted with a set wedding setup? Yeah, I don't know. What? There's a lot of things I feel that are like unsaid, but then when you have a wedding, like everyone tells you, Oh, you have to do this, this. Mm-hmm. i don't know i don't i don't think there's an instance where i've ever heard like a reasoning yeah like it's always just like oh yeah we do this like this is a traditionally done thing yeah yeah it's whether, always... whether it's based on their tradition or not right mm-hmm. but you never get an explanation they're just yeah. like yeah sit on that side sit on that side yeah mm-hmm. why yeah <laughs> nobody knows yeah, we need the origin story yeah. behind that tradition <laughs> why like, is it a familial thing like it's a culture thing is it a religious thing like is it yeah. just convenience thing? <laughs> like, what's up? Yeah, I don't know. And then what if there are, like, two brides, two grooms? Like, yeah. You, yeah, now we get that. Then you're like, oh, okay, just pick a side. <laughs> or just, like, can't everyone just kind of intermingle? <laughs> yeah, gonna, for real. You're going to talk later. Like, say where you want. That's a good point, Avery. <laughs> yeah, that's my piece. I'm drinking an oat milk, no, yeah, oat milk chai latte. It's great. Yep. Why? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. You don't have to have a reason. I think I just wanted, like, <laughs> I didn't want full-on espresso. Although I did, I did. I did want a dirty chai with, like, a shot of espresso in it, but it's just chai. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I just wanted the spice. I just wanted spice. some some flavor spicy sunday yeah Yeah. (laughs) a little bit of spice for my end of october take it away gage okay uh my name's gage uh my scientific background is i'm obviously in science but specifically (laughs) in biology um and some neuroscience as well um my pronouns are he him his um No, okay. you're doing great. Um, I <laughs> am confused about musical instruments, specifically why, I mean, maybe this isn't true, this is just something I've observed, so this is anecdotal, take it with a grain of salt or two, <laughs> but why are like band instruments, woodwinds, clarinets, brass, trumpets, why are all of those instruments so much cheaper than stringed instruments, like cello, viola, violin, they're all like to get like a nice one at least like over ten thousand dollars and meanwhile like the nice woodwind instruments are like only a couple thousand i mean this could be totally wrong but that's just what i have heard from other people that i know who play in band yeah and it doesn't make sense to me 
No, I share that but sentiment. I guess they're newer. My, when my family was growing up, my sisters all played like the violin. Mm-hmm. It's significantly more expensive. And I got a little burnt. I was like, y'all didn't spend enough on me. Here's <laughs> you got me a $50 trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> so. You were the firstborn though, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You were the, the trendsetter. So yeah. they, they knew how much they could spend based on what they didn't spend on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did when you did play you, an instrument, you see? I played clarinet. I was on ah, my Squidward okay. vibes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when did you notice this discrepancy in price? Like what? Mm, when I was trying to buy a cello. That's when I noticed oh, it. Dang. Do you I play the cello? I have not bought one yet because there's so much money. Um, I do, but I just rent one right now. Nice. How much does it cost to rent one? Um, right now it's like 40 bucks a month. Oh, so not bad. kind of a lot, but... I'm at least getting store credit, I guess. I don't know. Someone who works at a music store, they're like, yeah, usually stores that do that are like kind of scammy, but I don't know. I just need an instrument to play, yeah. so I'll take it. That's so cool. I yeah. looked into renting a cello before because I wanted to learn how to play the cello. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I've just gone through like a song of trying to learn the cello in my life. Like in my high school, I tried to learn the cello, but then like... I don't think we had one that I could play. And then in my undergrad, I tried to rent a cello from like the band department, Mm -hmm, the music mm -hmm. department. And they were like, no, you're not a music major. You can't. And I was like, okay. So then I went to a music store to rent one, but then it was like too expensive for me at the time. Mm -hmm. And then in grad school, I made a friend who plays the cello and he was like, yeah, I'll teach you. And I was like, for sure. And then I never followed up because I got busy. (laughs) Yeah. Strikes again. Yes. But now this maybe will motivate me again to try. (laughs) Yeah. Come join our community orchestra. Is there? Oh, Oh. I would love that. I'm picking back up the trumpet. (laughs) Well, the sad thing is there's like a university one that's full orchestra, like a full symphony orchestra that has like the brass and the woodwind and everything. But the one that I'm in right now because we weren't able to find like a full one because I have friends who I wanted to play clarinet with. Like my partner plays clarinet and we wanted to do an orchestra together, but ours is only a like a string chamber kind of orchestra, sadly. Um, okay. Okay. So, Damn. you could pick a cello with Avery though. I can play electric bass. Oh, there you that's go. honestly not that. From what I have heard, not too like super difficult to switch to upright from that. Okay. Oh. All right, upright bass it is. Here I come. Very <laughs> and cool. plus, you always look the coolest because you got like the giant instrument that's yeah. like, just tells you. <laughs> yeah, three you're times just like vibing out. You're like, yeah. The bass mm-hmm. is always the coolest. I don't know. Is that you wrong? You just like, you just stand like, there with like the giant bow and you're like plucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the bass, they give you that vibe of like, you know, that person who doesn't say a lot, but then they'll say like some stuff and you're like, oh, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> like a stoner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. Stoner vibes. Yeah, kind of quiet, but says something, like, really brilliant, just like, one-off. It's like, where'd you, where'd yeah. you come from? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I Wait, I have a brief question. Yeah. What is, like, the appropriateness level of words and jokes? Like, should I not be saying stoner on the podcast? Right, okay. Oh, you can absolutely say it. In okay, our cool. pilot episode, I talked about how <laughs> I... I like drafted up how we were going to do this podcast mm-hmm. and like the format of everything while I was high. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of our origin story. Okay. So yeah. it's, only fitting. So, like, it's perfectly Amazing. fitting. Amazing. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gage, we're like, what's going on for you in your grad education? Like, where are you at mm-hmm. in your program? What program are you in? 
for the I will listeners. answer that. Should I talk about my drinks? Do you still want me to do that? Oh, oh, sure. oh yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Run the yeah, whole yeah. gambit of yes. those drinks. So what I'm drinking today, um, I'm drinking a lavender latte. I think it's latte, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm drinking a lavender latte. I'll drink any coffee beverage that has any kind of lavender flavoring in it. I'm a real <laughs> sucker for lavender. Um, and then I was also given a Dr. Pepper for when I'm feeling kind of like a little slob. A gremlin <laughs> slob. A gremlin slob. Gremlin, excuse me. <laughs> Emphasis on um, the gremlin. And Dr. Pepper's just by far the best soda. There's really, <laughs> not really any arguing about that, to be honest. Um, and then I also said that I would drink whole milk if we were eating a meal. But, of course, we're not eating right now. That'd be bad for the microphones. <laughs> so today I'm just sticking with my latte and later Dr. Pepper. <laughs> How many flavors does Dr. Pepper have? 23. Okay, yeah, you're really about it. You're really about the Dr. Pepper life. Was that, I think. Was that a test? Were you yeah, it was. Okay, okay, okay. Just to be uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how does how does Dr. Pepper rank? Um, obviously, so it's the, it's the best by far, right? But mm. I'm curious. Well, I guess not Dr. Pepper then. I'm curious, where does a McDonald's Sprite land? So <laughs> that's a good Ooh, question. A lot of people <laughs> like Sprite and I really don't like Sprite that much, but it's not because I think Sprite is a bad flavor. It's because whenever we were sick as kids, our mom would always give us Sprite or like Ceramist or yes. like the like lighter, like carbonated soda to just yes. like sip on. Mm-hmm. So anytime I drink Sprite, it just makes me feel not like ill, but you know, like the, like just general malaise, it really brings it back for me. Mm-hmm. So Sprite's not bad. It's just like, too many memories too many. attached mine was, to it. Mine was ginger ale. Yeah. yeah. Same. Mine was ginger ale. Yeah. I had tonic water. Oh, <laughs> Not tonic, even flavored. Tonic, tonic water is probably like the better yeah, choice honestly, out of though. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely the least. Why did our parents be like, that's a good idea? Tonic <laughs> water. Our kids like sparkling drinks. There must have been something that came out that said it works. I don't know what the science is behind it, if there is. Mm-hmm. All I know is it glows in the dark. What? what? Yeah. I did not know this. What? Yeah. yeah. Which? I made Halloween jello shots once, and you, I had to use tonic water because oh, tonic, tonic oh. water glows in the dark, so it would make them glow. Whoa. Yep. Is it related to, like, the quinine stuff in it? Is that Probably. Glow in the dark? I don't know, like, actually what makes up tonic um, well, water. This begs the question now. Does Yasin glow in the dark? I might. I am half tonic. <laughs> half water. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Wait, no. We're like 75% water or something. <laughs> or whatever oh, yeah. percentage is. Yeah, it's quinine. You're right. Oh, that's what makes it glow in the dark? That's cool. Yeah, I looked up tonic water. Why glow? <laughs> <laughs> Quality Google search. You don't need to fact check now. <laughs> According to timesofindia.com, it's because of the quinine that's in it. Nice. Yep. What's, the, what's that? What's that form of speech where you only use, like, like Yoda? a few words? Yeah, like Yoda, <laughs> like a few words in order to do something or in order to say something. No idea. This came up uh, like I'm in one of my conversations. I, I've I've heard the term recently, and it makes me think of Kevin from The Office because there's <laughs> there's an episode where he goes like oh, I can't I don't remember it verbatim, but it's like why use many word when few word do trick yeah or something like that like laconic speech or is that what it's called i think that just means like short and gruff maybe i think there's like a, a term live fact check the live fact check might be where it's at also. yeah <clears throat> for little things i don't know 
It's a concise or terse statement. But like I don't know if it necessarily means like cutting out words. It might mm. I feel like that would require me to actually click and read something fully. Mm. It's Sunday. We don't need to do that. Yeah, True. often to express complex thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think it's laconic. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll fact check it yeah. for the listeners. I'm interested. We'll let you know. Which <laughs> is like Yoda language or something. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you get it. Yoda. Yeah. We've all seen that. <laughs> Have you not? Interesting. <laughs> We've all seen that. <laughs> no, that was so suspicious. Uh, what do you, sound what do you so have to guilty? say, what, Avery? What, is, what are you referring to when you say that? Why do, do I you, sound guilty? Do you what know? does that say about our culture? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Star Wars oh once upon a time when I was a kid. Supposedly. And I didn't enjoy it. So I haven't Whoa, seen it fine. since. Oh, that's fine. It's yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I also didn't enjoy it, so I get it. All right, great. Yeah. You don't have to like something that everyone likes. <laughs> are you so did, was uh was your star wars experience what am i trying to say here uh was there a different show or movie for you that that took the cake because mine was lord of the rings over star wars brave little toaster it had to oh be oh my god <laughs> i forgot about that movie i forgot about that too cute that was great my favorite movie was legally blonde like through through mm, nice. oh. Have you ever listened to come to the party on Saturday then? Because he has memorized like all of the songs oh of my God. Legally Blonde musicals. That's so. amazing. And yeah. he asks everyone if they have ever heard the musical, and he has not met anyone else who has ever listened to the musical yet, so he'll oh finally God. have someone to talk to about it. It's playing in Chicago in November, actually. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. And I You're really like, about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I like it. Um, I started listening to musicals again. Like, I stopped for a while because mm-hmm. I just was like, I don't know. I guess I felt too busy for musicals or something. And mm-hmm. then I was like, why did I stop doing this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, love Legally Blonde. It's like my hype up musical. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah, that was probably my movie of choice. Cool. Yeah, we can move on. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. So, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so back to the gauge question. Yeah. I, where you at <laughs> in science? Repeat of the question. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my eloquently worded question was, what program are you in? And, like, where are you at within that program right now? Mm-hmm. So I'm in a neuroscience program, um, and where I'm at is on the second floor. And I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my technically, like, second year of the graduate program, um, I'm kind of in like a weirder program. I don't really know how to phrase it. Uh, but basically, um, I've been in the lab that I'm in, like officially committed from last, like early July. So pretty much like a year and like four months. Um, okay. And I have taken and successfully passed comps. Um, and now Ooh. we're, thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Now we're working on um, the part where we have to submit and write 
the whole F30 grant and oh. work on like writing a paper and then like work on the posters for SFN and like all the little presentations your programs want you to give. And apparently everything just has to happen in the fall at the same time yep. within yeah. the same October and November months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Nice. Tis the season. Not yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Make it as stressful as humanly possible. Seriously. Well, at least January and February will be nice, though. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. that they ever are. Yeah. And then you're also, I guess, yeah, like, I don't know how to, well, I mean, I get, you're an MSTP student. Mm-hmm. And so you're also doing med school, like, mm-hmm. in your degree. Or yeah, program. I can actually explain that. And then you can yeah. put this before what I just said, so that makes more sense. <laughs> sure, yeah. So um, I'm in the MD-PhD program. And there so basically go. what I do is I take a year and a half of didactic courses where we do like all of the same classes that the med- the like MD only medical students do um, and the PAs who are also in the class. And so it's like all of the um, health and disease classes going through all of the body systems, etc. And then when we're done with that, we take uh, like a, a board exam in air quotes called step one. And then once we're done with that, we then go, we have like a month and a half to study for that. And so then in the spring of our second year, we then do like a rotation or two in clinic. So I did my internal medicine and my family medicine rotations, outpatient internal medicine. Um, And that's like approximately, I think it was like three months. Um, And then once we're done with that, we then go into the PhD portion. Um, So during the summers of the first two medical school years and like the summer before as well, we did rotations in labs. So that's the time that we did rotations. So we could just go right into a lab once we were done. Um, COVID kind of messed up my rotation schedule. So I had to do like a third rotation with the lab that I was planning to do my second rotation with. But then of course we couldn't Um, breed mice and we do neonatal mouse research. So kind of couldn't have done anything in that lab during COVID, but ended up working out because then I committed to that lab and have been in that lab since. So that's kind of the course they have totally restructured the like (laughs) path. So the path that I just described isn't the path for new people. In the program, now in the MD-PhD program, you do the year and a half of coursework, and then you do your entire core year of clinical rotations. So like uh, the surgery, the OB-GYN, the family med, internal medicine, pediatrics, like all Mm -hmm. the classic ones. You go through the entire year first. Gotcha. And then you take the board exam, which I am very jealous of because even just like a month and a half in clinic was so much better than sitting and staring at the computer to prepare for that (laughs) experience. It's amazing. Jeez. Compared to looking at flashcards. Oh but yeah, so that's <laughs> that. I'm okay. curious, do you have like a, a specialization for your MD? Um, so right now I am torn between, I love neuro. And so like pediatric neurology would be awesome. Mm-hmm. And I would love to do that. That's also what my PI does. Um, he does like a lot of neonatal. <clears throat> he's also an MD, PhD person. And he does like a lot of neonatal uh, seizure work. And that's also what we study. So it's like very related to his science and his actual clinic. Um, but I would also like to do that, not necessarily in seizures, but definitely kids and brains are both very interesting. But then the other thing that I think about doing sometimes a lot lately, just because of how busy everything has been, mm-hmm. uh, is like the great work-life balance. And also like the amazing community involvement that would come with just doing like 
family medicine mm. and like being in like either midsize or even like smaller rural community and like being very involved. That sounds really nice too. And uh-huh. also like, you know, working eight to five Monday through Friday, <laughs> except we'd still have to do notes on the weekends. Probably yeah. never escape that, but <laughs> family med would also be really cool. Cause there'd be a lot more variety. Um, and like I said, community involvement. So yeah, those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum. You know, if I feel very studious and enterprising, I'll do Pete's neuro. It's also a lot longer for Pete's neuro too, because you'd have to do like a three year, like a four or five year residency, I think. And then like also a fellowship for it. Although like the residency might also be a fellowship. I still have like four years until I'm going to apply for residency. So I really haven't done a ton of research on it, but yeah, that's, the debate that's going on inside my head right now. Cool. Jeez. Um, could I, I'm really interested Gage. What's your like scientific story? I guess the, mm-hmm. like the quick and dirty way to like get to where yeah. you're at and like yeah. your motivations that you just explained. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, I loved building with Legos and there was like a charter school, charter school in air quotes. It was just like a couple classes you would take on the side along with the normal classes that you took in high school. But there was like a charter school. Mm-hmm. There was an engineering school in air quotes school, and, uh, <laughs> like health academy school at the high school that I was going to go to. And I really wanted to do the engineering one because I love Legos. I wanted to like build things, work with circuits. And my uh, dad was like, no, you're going to go to the health one and you're going to like be a doctor. Um, <laughs> so then I went to the health one um, <laughs> and I, ended up, I do end up really liking it. And the, especially like brain research stuff, mm-hmm. I've always been interested in that, but um, that was like first exposure to healthcare. Um, and then going to college, I got involved with a research lab that studied addiction um, and did like a whole bunch of rat and self-administration work. So like a lot of my old lab actually collaborated a lot with both Jason Radley and with um, Ryan Lumiere, the guy uh, who taught us. So like, yeah. I know both of them and like all of their research is like almost identical to what we did as well. So, oh, um, cool. but yeah, that was it. Marquette in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, Mm -hmm. And so then after that, I took a gap year while I was applying to uh, medical school. I actually only applied to MD-PhD programs because I really Mm -hmm. liked research, still do, for now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I basically, the reason I applied to MD-PhD is because I couldn't make a decision one way or the other if I wanted to just like do grad school and try and be like a researcher or if I wanted to do medical school and just be like a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so indecision brought me to this point and (laughs) here I am. Just do Um, it all. Did your indecision turn out to be the right decision? I think so, yeah. And like even, even if it didn't, like I can still fall back in either direction at this point too. Like I just want to do medical stuff, I can just be a medical doctor. And if I want to do more research, I can very, very easily do that as well. Well, not very easily, but the path is there and it exists for me to accomplish that. So that's so awesome. And it like comes out from like a high school experience and like this pull path keeps going. Mm -hmm. I always think that's really Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. It was always really hard, like writing admissions essays though, because there was never like one thing that like pushed me toward it it was always just like i've just always kind of liked it you know but like that's not interesting and like in admin office they want like their whole trauma porn stuff where you like talk about (laughs) how like my friend almost died in my arms and i helped resuscitate them and it inspired me to be a doctor no we need to normalize just like being interested you know there's nothing wrong with having an interest (laughs) yeah yeah 
It's funny when I was writing my like uh, grad school personal statements and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I have a personal story, and so I would like it when I first wrote my draft, I like kind of narrated out some things and stuff, mm-hmm. and then you know, like in the editing process of people reading over it, mm-hmm. like they were like, "No, cut this!" Like one line, and that's yeah. it. And then like that's all you need. Which I did, and I do feel like it's more effective. And that mm-hmm. way you don't have to, like, share all of this. Like, no one yeah. wants to read that either. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, oh, my God, like, this happened to you. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, ah, yeah. but, like, yeah. we're not just going to accept you because you had a trauma. Yeah, like, there's a, there's <laughs> a So, yeah, like, I feel like that is a, it's a balance. And also, if you don't have a story, then it's like, yeah, you shouldn't need that for, no, I agree. to write an effective statement about why you want to do what you do mm-hmm. yeah dang what is our if you're gonna say something oh i i do this all the time where i like cut myself off and switch to a different topic halfway through talking but i was gonna say for the scientific journey um while i was applying to med school i took mm-hmm. a gap year and worked at the medical college of wisconsin as just like a research assistant um, doing, of course, more research. Mm-hmm. And, and is that I, an addiction okay. as well? Um, yeah, yeah, it was. It was more so my undergrad lab did like a lot of um, stress potentiation addiction, mm-hmm. um, specifically involving like the endocannabinoid system. And the research job at the Medical College of Wisconsin focused like a lot more on the endocannabinoid system itself. So like I still did some addiction stuff like i was doing a mouse administration mouse self-administration experiment which is insanely difficult because they do not preserve well (laughs) but yeah so just working a lot more on like the endocannabinoid side than the like actual stress and cocaine kind of side Mm -hmm. that's always like i feel like nice to have a year of uh, intensive research Mm because at that point were you still deciding on MD PhD or you were like, I'm still, I think I was, I think I was committed by that point. Um, but it was nice to have like nothing else going on. Like it was just work eight to five, like a normal job. And then like at the end of the day, I would have the entire night to either like study for the MCAT or like do any of the other like writings yeah. or filling out secondary applications, which are like five more essays on top of the first <laughs> initial one. Oh my god, I'm so glad the application cycle is over for now. No, you're in. And now you yeah. only need to worry about comps and perspectives and yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's more things down the line yeah. as the career mm-hmm. goes on, but that's a big hurdle, I feel. Yeah. yeah. But you're done with comps, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm curious to know, um, for your comps committee, because you yes. have to select, what I think, four people, plus there's a chair that's mm-hmm. involved. Um, how much of that selection was solely your decision? How much of it was your PI's input? Um, so I worked with my PI closely on that. So ultimately, it like was all my decision. But like, I trusted my PI well enough to be like, uh, this person has good expertise. I, let me back up, actually. So the way that I did it is <laughs> I worked with my PI to get like the names of people who have good expertise in the subjects that we wanted to do. So like electrophysiology experiments people who are focused on like seizures, people who are focused on like pathology and staining of cells and like cell death markers, stuff like that. 
And then I took the list of names that I got and I went to other people, especially people who worked with the PIs who were on the list. And I asked them, um, is your PI like nice? Are they going to <laughs> like be a stickler? Are they going to ask me questions to try and trip me up? And so then I formed a list, like a finalized list based both on like the expertise that my PI helped provide as well as like the the program gossip of like who is a good person to include on the committee and who is not. And I think that that was extremely helpful because my committee was extremely supportive and everyone was like really, really nice. And there were no question, like every question that was asked just like followed along the story that I was talking through in my comms presentation when I was actually giving it to them. Um, and so like, no one was really stuck on like one particular aspect. They all just kind of took the whole story in stride, just asked clarifying questions and it went very well in that respect, at least. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Sounds very smooth. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Honestly, I was shocked at how smooth it went because people really put comps up on like a pedestal of mm -hmm. this is an insanely difficult thing. It will like make or break your career. You need to be extremely anxious about it. And if you're not preparing like a year in advance, you're going to be behind and not be able to complete it. And to be honest, <laughs> I think all of that's completely wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dang. So what, I guess, back, backing up a little bit to, like, what is comps for people listening who <clears throat> yes. might not know? The listener. Yes. For so, the listener. <laughs> it definitely depends on your program. But generally speaking, what you do for comps is you'll make some kind of research proposal. And for us, we had to model ours off of a kind of like an F30 or like an NRSA grant submission. And so you work on basically a specific aims page and you pick a few aims with experiments that you're going to do. And then you write the six research strategy pages. Um, and so basically your specific aims page is like kind of a vague overview. Uh, specific aims pages drive me insane. They don't tell you anything and there's no <laughs> nuance whatsoever in them. I hate them. Ironic. They're so specific. frustrating. Yeah. No, they're so you're supposed to be specific, but if you're specific, then your specific aims page turns into five pages. Right. <laughs> oh, that was the most frustrating part to write actually. Um, but so the specific aims page and then the uh, six research strategy pages. And so, you write that up. That's the first thing you do. Um, generally speaking, you're not supposed to get like a ton of input from your PI. Me personally, I didn't actually show it to my PI at all, like any of it. Um, and it still went fine. So like you definitely don't need your PI to, you know, watch over your shoulder and make sure you're not going to fall on any holes. Um, because even if you do, like if you select a good comms committee, they'll help you out. They'll be understanding. Mm -hmm. um, and, like they're not there to try and trick you. They're there to like, make sure that you can think through a scientific problem and at least like kind of start to formulate good ideas. Like in your specific aims, they want to make sure that you can like have a good research question and then come up with an experimental design. That's actually going to try and prove that question. And if you get like some aspects of the science, like partially wrong, like they're not going to be super mad about that. I mean, you still want to be like generally right. You don't want to say that like, T cells aren't part of the immune system or something, <laughs> like, wild. Oh but, but if you, if you like mix something up that isn't directly involved in your, in your 
actual proposal. Like if they ask about something that's tangentially related and you give like a good guess and your guess is totally wrong, you're fine. Like mm -hmm. as long as you think through it and you have a process, you're good. Okay. So you write that whole document, the specific games page and the research strategy. You then submit it to your committee. I think for us, we have to submit it like two weeks in advance, but there'll be a deadline that you have to submit it for. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you submit it, you, for us, have to give a presentation to your committee. And for us, it's a two hour long presentation. I've never heard of it taking the entire two hours, but you have a two hour time slot. You create a PowerPoint that basically just walks through each of the sections in your specific games and research strategy pages. So you'll have like an intro with background and then you'll have, here's aim one, here's aim two, here's our uh, research design, here are the experiments that we're gonna do and here's what we expect to see with those. And you go through that for each aim and you just kind of walk through and basically just have a casual chat about your like fake research plan mm -hmm. with the committee <laughs> that you have assembled. And they'll ask clarifying questions or uh, sometimes if you've picked a technique and as long as you have like a couple reasons for why you have the technique, don't stress too much about like picking the perfect technique because they're also there to like help you refine the techniques you want to use. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like I had a technique that was a little bit older or maybe outdated, but I still had reasons for using it because um, we had like known people who had used it before and we know that it had worked well and like someone in our lab had done it. So that's why we chose that. But like there was a more updated technique. And so one of the committee members was like, oh, well, have you thought about like doing this instead? This might be a lot easier and like I can help you out with that. So it's really just like a casual walkthrough of your research where even if there's things that they think could be done better, they're really there to just like help you refine the plan and to make adjustments to get you more or to give you better direction and actually being able to clearly and concisely answer those research questions that you set out in each aim to explore. Does that answer the question well enough? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So. And then cool. some. Yeah. <laughs> 120%. Yeah. Perfect. So you have like your written document and then you'll like present and walk through that mm -hmm. document with your committee. Yes. Yeah. Mine only took like an hour and a half. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very relaxed. They, for us, they like, you go in, they briefly say hello, and then they kick you out of the room and they discuss your paper and then they let you back in. And you're just like standing outside of the room, like staring in through the glass at them, waiting for them to like invite you back inside. <laughs> breath like, breath heavy on the window. Yeah. And you're like so sweaty. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to be so sweaty. <laughs> I was so sweaty. It was so bad. I got such anxious sweats. Oh. Yeah. And I had had so much coffee that day, too. It made it so oh, much worse. Wow. I felt so good to be done with it, though. Oh, man. Um, do, wait. Yeah, do go they, ahead. Do they kick you out of the room after you've talked or before? Yep, yeah. Okay, so they kick you out once before or once at the beginning and once at the end. Both time oh, to just like okay. the first time to chat about the paper, the second time to chat about the discussion um, and the PowerPoint that you walk them through. And okay. Yeah. Oh, so you, oh, that makes sense. They would make a PowerPoint to like walk yeah. through. The second time they're like discussing, oh, do we think that they passed or not? That kind of thing. Got it. Mm. Got it. Got it. And how got long it. was that period of waiting before they called you back in after you gave the presentation? It depends. Honestly, mine was extremely short. Like I was only out there for like less than a minute at the beginning and like 30 seconds at the end. Um, Amazing. I think okay. yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had one PI on my committee who shall remain nameless, but I think really wanted to get the heck out of there. So he was like, <laughs> yeah. okay, let's get this going. Because at one point someone asked a question um, and 
I like gave like some really long-winded answer because if you can't tell, I can never say anything and very concisely. Um, <laughs> and I was like, does that answer your question? I can keep going. I can give you more. <laughs> I can give you more if you want. And this PI was like, nope, that's good. I know we, we, we know you can give more. That's plenty. Don't worry. <laughs> I was like, ooh, whoops. First of all, I really enjoy people who can thoroughly explain things. So don't feel bad about that. Um, and second of all, you mentioned the F, like this application. Mm -hmm. What was your writing process like? Yeah. Um, so I'm an extreme procrastinator. Um, and I was also moving into uh, my new place of living like three weeks before. Like we finished moving three weeks before. Um, you, bu you bought a house, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh so God. we bought a house and we moved Whoa. into the house and like moving over like the course of a week and like like June fourteenth was when we like started moving and we were done by like June twentieth and so mm -hmm. like um, to be honest, like I said, terrible procrastinator. Hadn't really started doing a whole lot of stuff <laughs> before that point. So I started writing like uh, toward the end of June and my comps was on July twentieth. Um, and so <clears throat> wow. I did like, I had done some reading before that. So like, I feel like the reading is definitely the hard part. It's just like s the hardest part, just sitting down and focusing and reading. Um, yeah. but I think definitely like, I say this, not practicing what I'm about to preach because I did like <laughs> all of my stuff at the end, <laughs> like, a total coffee driven binge of research stuff. But it's really great to like set aside even like one day a week, just like two hours in like the morning or something. If you're a morning person, mm -hmm. I could not read in the afternoon ever, but it's really great to set aside like at least a two hour block, even once a week, just to like specifically for comps, read like a paper. Like if you could at least come up with like ideas to explore for your aims, just like even general ideas, that's good. Like, think about like, oh, I want to like, think about like the specific drug and how it affects cell death kind of thing. And then just start reading about cell death and like seizures. Because I had probably like 10 different experimental questions that I like cycled through for each aim as I was like reading through stuff at the beginning before I even started writing. And like my questions had to change like 10 times each, like I said, because mm -hmm. I would be reading and I'd be like, oh, that question has already been thoroughly answered in the literature. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Or like, oh, this question is based on like a complete and total misunderstanding of the science. So this will not work at all. <laughs> so like reading is super important because like, to be honest, you can't really come up with a question to write about until you've gotten a good enough background on specifically the question that you want to do. Um, and I think it's good to come up with a general question first. In my opinion, that's what I did. It could work better for other people to do other things, but at least like a vague idea so that you're not just like reading about your entire field and trying to get an answer from that because yeah. that's just way too much to sort through, you know? Um, so then once you kind of get your idea and you get a good knowledge background, what I would do is <clears throat> I would basically have... God, I think I had, it was tens of thousands of words long, but basically just like typing notes into one like master note document. Mm -hmm. And then like I had the heading of like each like giant bold aim. <clears throat> and then I would like copy and paste the like paper title and like all of the notes from that paper under each mm -hmm. to keep it like stratified into what each or what <clears throat> knowledge would go into each aim. 
And then basically I would go through that once I was done reading a paper and I would highlight each of the different little bits of notes with different color for like each section that I would want to put it in. And I thought that was probably the most helpful thing I did. I never do stuff like that. So (laughs) it was insane that I did, but color coordinating. So like what I mean by that is like, I would, there's sections where you need to talk about like past rigor and reproducibility of research. So there were parts where uh, papers would draw like giant conclusions based on like one dose of a drug that they try. Meanwhile, like there's so many other doses you could try. Like right now I'm doing an experiment that like a ton of, previous papers showed no efficacy in, but we just like did a higher dose than everyone else. And now it works so much better, Wow! you know? So like, and that was one of the things I highlighted specifically in red, like all of the stuff that would go into that rigor and reproducibility section that I'd be able to pull on. So then I could just go back through that master document and be like, Oh, here's something I highlighted in red. And then I'd read it and be able to like translate that into a sentence to try and just like put in that specific section of the research strategy. Or um, there were, gosh, what else did I highlight? There were some that were, um, I'm really blanking on what uh, the other categories I highlighted were, but like some of them were um, obviously just like the basic science research, the actual like background. But then I would highlight, oh, I do remember, I did like an entire section that was just like on general background of the disease so i studied like neonatal seizures and epilepsy and stuff so i had like an entire color that was dedicated just to like facts about neonatal seizures and like how long a neonatal seizure needs to be to be considered status epilepticus and Mm. all that kind of stuff so like really segmenting stuff helped me because just sitting down and writing comps oh my god that's intimidating but like sitting down and being like, okay, today I'm going to plug everything into like that specific rigor and reproducibility of the past research section, or like today I'm going to work on the expected outcomes, really like segmenting it out and making it easy on yourself by segmenting the notes as you're taking them too. That was something I found extremely helpful. That's really good too. Yeah. Yeah. Making it like a small attainable goal instead of just like, oh, do this huge one thing. (laughs) That's why I ask is like for me writing, is such a difficult process. Yeah. And I'm still trying to understand oh, what that process is. So I always ask people, mm-hmm. what's your process? Yeah. And so I really like that kind of Wikipedia, highlighted Wikipedia mm-hmm. for your project, basically, as like connections well, because to because then I section. can just scroll through and be like, oh, there's the color red. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And then it probably just flowed after you had that whole no, really, comprehensive it, list. Yes. It was wow. extremely useful. Yeah. Um, and so then, <clears throat> Brittany one of uh, our classmates, actually, she was uh, invaluable to me, probably the most helpful person out of anyone. She and um, she and I made like a deal where we would have like a 24 hour response window. We would just like send each other cause she did her comps and I edited for her, but like pick someone who you can like make a deal with, be like, Hey, you respond to me really quickly and I'll respond to you really quickly later for your comps mm-hmm. kind of deal. Basically, I would send her like different versions of my specific games page, different versions of my research strategy page, and she'd like read them all within a day and then send them back to me with like all her comments. And so like, so nice. because I procrastinated terribly and had such a short window to actually write them, that was really, really helpful. Granted, if you write like a non-procrastinator, you really don't have to do such a short return on investment, <laughs> yeah. but um, definitely having like 
having more than one person is good, but also having one like dedicated person that will like see it change over the course and be able to be like, oh, I really like how this has changed to better fit into this story and show what you're trying to demonstrate. I think that that's really helpful as well because it's almost like like a, a partner trying to help you, mm-hmm. you know, do it. Of course, you know, the work has to all be your own, right? But having someone be like, you know, you totally spelled that word wrong every single time you <laughs> typed it, that kind of thing is really nice. That's and awesome. more contribution than that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you, okay, so you did all this in a month's time? Less than? Less than? Yeah. <laughs> wow, Gage. It's really, it's really, it really, impressive. It really was awful. No, it really, it really, wasn't, it really wasn't that bad. Um, I mean, I was like writing and reading at night when I got home, but like, you're going to do that anyway when you're working on comps. Because, yeah, you know, the anxiety and the stress will get to you. And then you just be like, gosh, I really should be working on this right now. And then you'll find yourself at home, sitting on the couch, reading papers. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you not do research during that time? Or were you like, hey, PI, like I'm working on just this. Forget well, everything the, else. Part of the reason why I procrastinated so bad is because I was like always trying to do experiments. And I, <clears throat> so I was recently diagnosed with ADHD like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I am so bad at focusing on like more than one thing at a time. So like. I did a ton of experiments like leading up to that. And like when I do an experiment, that's like all I'll do during the day. And I will Mm -hmm. just like do the experiment for the entire day. Just focus on that. Or if I'm like having like a reading day, I like will just do reading for the entire day. But then of course I hate reading. And so I always put that off and never do it. And so like, um, just like being able to compartmentalize and, you know, do like two hours of reading at the end of the day or something. Um, so basically to answer your question, yeah, I was still doing a ton of experiments up until that because I was trying to put off reading and writing so much. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. got to have a good balance. Can't just do yeah. one thing. You know? Yeah. But I did. And I would recommend, especially in like the last week before I had to submit my written document, I told my PI, I was like, I, probably need like this week to really just like focus entirely on writing and getting this thing good. And mm-hmm. he was totally cool with that. So it's awesome. Um, and like every PI should be cool with that because comps is important, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and if they're not, that's like kind of a problem, yeah, that's messed but, up. but yeah, your PI definitely should be okay with that. And they definitely will. And if not, they should give you the time to be able to just dedicate to comps. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like your advice about like read, like having dedicated time on, you know, like a Friday morning or something mm-hmm. if you're a morning person and like, do reading yeah, or like no, writing or I, whatever. Like, I can only read between like the hours of nine and 11 in the morning <laughs> unless I left like coffee all day long and I don't want to live that life. Yeah. Um, yeah. One other thing I will say about like blocking in the schedule, I tried to block in my schedule a while ago and I would put just like today's an experiment day and like here's two hours of reading here's two hours of like trying to code but that's all i would put for it and i would never like get more specific than just like reading coding and i would say that it's so much more helpful to be like today i'm going to read specifically about like neuronal death in this specific condition like like be specific when you're blocking stuff so that you know exactly what you need to do Mm -hmm. because i really struggle to like start things when the starting 
thing is so like vague and there's such a wide breadth of things that I could even do in that. Yeah. So I was just talking to my PI about this because <clears throat> I'm again, a terrible procrastinator. So he was <laughs> like, yeah, getting really specific is really helpful. And like making sure like today I'm going to read specifically this paper, like yeah. not just be like, this is my reading block. I need to read. What does that mean? What do I do now? Yeah. It's much more helpful. I think. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm curious, like, when you, like, before you walked into comps, like, how did you just feel emotionally? <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be honest, it was multiple stages of grief all at the same time. <laughs> like, like, tons of anxiety, so sweaty all day. Um, and, like, <laughs> like, for, because I did a mock comps. Oh, that's another thing, oh, actually. Yeah. Definitely organize a mock comps. Even if your, like, school doesn't provide a mock comps or your program doesn't have mock comps, like, ask your friends, ask, like, some experts in your lab, not your PI, because I don't think your PI can be that involved, but, like, an older student in your lab to, like, come and listen to you give your your uh, comps presentation to, like, go through it and make sure that they can, like, shore up any holes in your logic or, like, tell you what to focus on, what, like, not to go on and on about because you're providing too much information. Like, anything you say in comps can and will be used against you in a question. So, like, <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff is really helpful. Sorry, oh what gosh. was your question again? No, like, I'm so glad you actually talked about mock comps because mm-hmm. I meant to ask and I totally forgot, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. yeah, like I want to do that. What oh, what was, was I question? feeling before? Yes. Oh, yeah, I yeah. forgot too. I Lots of like sweat and anxiety, um, and like, <laughs> like uh, since my mock comps, because like mock comps, you want them to kind of destroy you and like tear you apart. Because mm-hmm. as you can tell, I was extremely verbose and giving like way too much information and like giving like every single like good thing about every technique and every qualifier that I could think of just to be like look at how much I know and everyone is like no 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 don't talk about how bad your techniques are that's not a good strategy (laughs) be quiet about that don't list like the negatives specifically focus on the positives if they talk about the drawbacks like be like oh you know this technique isn't very specific but then add in why there's an added benefit to it and be like, but it's more applicable to like a general population because of that. So like always try and like turn everything into like a, a a good thing or like use every question, even if it's about something you don't know to share something, you know, Mm -hmm. and only share what they ask for. Those were the best bits of advice that I got during mock comps. Did I listen to it during real comps? Probably not. <laughs> but I went for the opposite strategy of overwhelming them with so much. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, actually, I've thought a lot about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I can see that happening for me. Like within like mm-hmm. just neuroimaging methods, like I can get so methodsy now and yeah. like be like, oh, I will love this and this and this. Because yeah. yeah. there's so much. But um, when you did your mock comps, like, is there a specific time window you'd recommend someone to do a mock comps? Like how soon before your oral defense did you do that? I would say, so I did mine like a little over a week before. So you have like the two week period for us after you submit. um, And then you're working on your presentation. So pretty much as soon as my presentation was done, I did my mock comps and then I still had like a week to go. And I would say definitely do it like a week or less in between your mock comps, like at least like a day or two to like give any, you know, fixes. You don't want to do it like the night before and then be stressed out. Like, oh God, they said this was like bad and I need to change all of these figures or something. You don't want to have to like be rushing. But I would say like definitely within like a week, week and a half of your comps is really helpful because 
I mean, it's practice and you'll retain that information, but if it's too far away, you won't retain it. And if it's too close, it might just stress you out. Mm -hmm. Oh, cause like I was saying, they're probably going to like tear you apart in the mock comps because that's kind of what it's for. And they should, um, if your mock comps goes well, that's, I think pretty strange for that to happen. Mm -hmm. But when they tear you apart, you'll be like, wow, that was horrible. Um, and this relates to what I was feeling before I was like, had gone through all the stages of grief of like acceptance and being like, well, if I fail, at least I can try again, you know, Mm -hmm. it'll all be okay. Like I'll fail or I'll pass whatever, but it ended up being fine. You know, like every grad student goes through the whole, well, I guess I'll fail comps now kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. But it ends up not being that bad. No. And what was like your first like opening, like, was that the most difficult thing to overcome? Because I know people always say like the first like five minutes. Yeah. It was the most hundred percent. Is that true? Yes, definitely. Because like after the first question, they just like ask about some random thing and then like you just start chatting and then like the PIs will start talking to each other. And like, sometimes there's like little mini infights, not real fights, but you know, like it's about little bits of science or like discussions where they talk for like five minutes and just sitting there watching them talk about your project. (laughs) You're like, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Also like it, it, and then they'll like ask for your opinion and you like chat back and forth with them and it becomes really conversational and a lot less like a seminar presentation Mm. kind of vibe. So yeah. It makes oh. it much less stressful. I yeah. like that. That is really awesome. Because I know during seminar presentation, that was my first formal presentation. And that was the most difficult. Like getting into the stride. No, just really, having a conversation. Is. Yeah. I I feel like this was maybe a question you had written, you see. So if I'll you want go. to ask it. But go like, ahead. Uh, yeah, just like as a human, like what do you do also to deal with all that stress and grief mm-hmm. and... <laughs> everything that goes along with the whirlwind of grad school generally, but also comps. Mm -hmm. So unless it's like a crunch time kind of part, I generally try my best to keep like work at work. So I don't like to like read or write after I leave lab generally. (laughs) It's hard sometimes, yeah, especially when someone procrastinates real bad. (laughs) But um, I... I try not to have like, so I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this kindly. (laughs) Um, Basically, I try not to have too many hobbies and like things that I do outside of work that are like involved in like the medical field or like science um, too much. Because one of the things that really grosses me out about like the whole system is just how like when you always have something in the future to like apply to you're like always having to play like the stupid little game of like oh gotta make sure i check this box and like volunteer with this specific group so that i look good on the application i'm just at this point i'm so sick of that oh (laughs) my god i just want to like chase butterflies and (laughs) like bake things and swim in the morning you know like Mm -hmm. i don't uh, but yeah so basically what i do is try and separate my fun from work so i'll do like exercise um i swim in the morning uh with one of my friends in uh my program as well and so we're like on the master's swim team which is basically just like swimming staying in shape for old people who graduated college that's awesome Uh, yeah that's that's so cool actually it's at the field house and at crwc but we only have one day in the crwc which is kind of baloney we used to have two sucks i know it's so nice though you guys ever run in that pool yeah 
No. It's, it's a really nice pool. Dang. It's probably it's the nicest crisp. pool I've ever been in. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's not like it's so cool though. Don't they like whole yeah, it is really cool. I have no no natural insulation either. <laughs> I have, like skin and bones. Um, so yeah, so I exercise in the morning and I swim. I also do, um, like we were talking about before, things with instruments, orchestra, um, and yeah. that, oh my God, it is so nice to be doing that again. I haven't done it for like two years and I just yeah. started again this fall and I have missed it so much. Like having a musical creative outlet yeah. mm-hmm. does wonders for the mental health, seriously. Um, That's so awesome. And then I also... You know, it's a lot harder in the um, winter, but I, as like my main hobby, I would say, I raise bugs, mainly like butterflies and moths. I grow like a ton of different species oh, of butterflies and moths. That's cool. So you literally um, do chase butterflies in your No, yeah, time. I wasn't joking. Wow. Um, Metamorphosis. I, as a kid, I used to like run through the neighborhood with my butterfly net as like the little weirdo. Oh my <laughs> was great. I loved it. I would so like, find awesome. myself in old ladies' backyards in their butterfly gardens, just whacking their flowers, trying to catch a butterfly. I never got yelled at. That's adorable. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, that's Should be that for Halloween one year. This is like your old self and the butterfly catcher. Yeah, you're so right. I, mean, I have, I have like a fancy butterfly net now too. Oh wow! There so you I go. Could have, I could. Well, <laughs> do you grow the insects like inside? Um, so generally I keep them outside. So my partner and I built like some bug cages. Um, basically they have like plexiglass front and back and then like metal screen on the side. Um, and so what we do is we'll find like the caterpillars or the eggs or the adults. Um, and then either they grow or they make babies and then they lay the eggs in like our bug cages that we keep on our back porch. Um, and because a lot of species that are native to here um are able to overwinter and survive the winter just fine i generally just like they make a cocoon in the fall or a chrysalis and then they just kind of chill in the backyard until winter's over and then they hatch in the spring so it's very low maintenance in winter but it's also sad any non-native species i obviously don't release into the wild or like grow outside i keep them inside Mm -hmm. because there's some cool non-native species what is the coolest non-native species you the one, the coolest that I've done, it's called a Chinese moon moth, and it's like this neon green and pink luna moth that has like extremely long tails on its hind wings. It's gorgeous. Oh, wow. Dang. Oh, yeah. I want to yes. see that. Neon pink and green. Yeah, Something. do you take no, really, really cool whoa. pictures? Like we, so my partner actually bought a, um, like a, nice... like a macro lens to take oh. pictures of. Oh, so this sick. is like the male and the female here. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, that yo. one's the male. Wow. That one's the female, and you can—it's like literally neon pink. It's so cool. That is, so but cool. that it's one's okay, really I cool like. because one, its caterpillars look like little Christmas decorations because they've got like literally like shiny metallic gold and silver speckles all over mm-hmm. them, and like white stripes and these cool metallic-looking hairs. It's wild. So cool. Those but are cool. they eat pine, Ooh. and they're native to like mountaintop regions so of China, cool. like. Some research thing I was reading about them said that they're like some kind of like a relic species almost from like a pre-Ice Age kind of era thing where like a lot of mountaintop species actually are because their habitats have been preserved. Hmm. But they're like also very rare because of that and they can only exist in that specific climate. And they have a really weird climate where they're mountaintop, but they're also like cloud-covered mountaintops. So they're extremely humid, but also like 
want it to be kind of cold. So like growing them was very high maintenance. You had to like put them in individual Tupperware containers with a wet paper towel on the bottom and closed so that it was humid enough for them. Otherwise oh. they desiccate really easily mm. apparently. Dang. Dang. Yeah. How'd you get yeah. curious about your headphones? Yes. Yeah. Well, not about your headphones, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen you without your headphones. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. I mean, obviously you're not wearing them right now, mm-hmm. but you always oh, have them right here you. though. Right. Yes. And so I'm curious, like, what music or what podcasts are getting you through those longer days and, and, and how long are those days? Yeah. So I, I like constantly need stimulation. Shockingly. Um, <laughs> I, of course, like you have said, will always be listening to something. Like if I'm not in a conversation with someone or I'm not like actively doing something that requires like real thinking energy, I'll be listening to a podcast. So I do, I listen to a lot of the classics. So like, um, sometimes I listen to like the whole armchair expert stuff. Hmm. Um, to be honest, my favorites are the ones that have Monica and the guy from New Zealand or the like expert ones rather than like the ones about actors. But that's fine if you like those too. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the expert ones are really interesting um, where they actually like bring in scientists and other people who discuss their fields. Those are really cool. Um, I listen to like some movie podcasts or like show recap, not necessarily recap podcasts, but like I love, I always loved English class. So I love it when people like analyze things and they actually like go through all of like the lit terms, like, uh, symbolism themes, etc. Mm-hmm. you know, obviously more lit terms exist than those two, but <laughs> you know, um, enjambment, uh, and that one's obviously about poems. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> love good enjambment. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I do a lot of that. Um, I honestly mostly listen to podcasts. I also, I am such a sucker for NPR. I listen to so many NPR podcasts and like (laughs) news recaps and everything just like kind of stay up to date. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also listen to, cause I, I love like data data is so cool. So like I listen to, there's this one website that does like a lot of like polling aggregation. It's like five 38.com and they have like a podcast that, they like go through a lot of like trends and like different things, actually like aggregating a ton of different polling data and like trying to pull actual information out of it. And I don't know why, but that just like really tickles my fancy. So <laughs> I love stuff like that. We're trying to like glean information about the like country and the state of the country and the direction, you know, I don't love that part about it, um, yeah. but I like trying to get that information. So stuff like that. Um, as far as music goes, I listen to so many different kinds of music. Um, I had been recently playing on repeat the new Taylor Swift album. Um, (laughs) The way I listen to music is also uh, relatably insane. Like I'll listen to, I'll pick like, I'll listen to the album once through and then I'll pick like one song and play it like 500 times in a row for like two days. I'll only listen to that song. And I, I'm not exaggerating either. Like I will, literally just on repeat the entire day play one song um that was actually how i got through comps as well i had one song that i played on repeat the entire time because sometimes i get really distracted obviously um and (laughs) 
like playing one song over and over while I'm like writing and trying to focus, it like tricks my brain into getting stuck in like a loop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so like a lot of the times I'm just listening to like the same thing over and over again to like try and trick my brain into focusing. Um, But yeah, so like the new Taylor Swift album, obviously. Um, And then mostly just like a lot of sad music. (laughs) Like Sophia Stevens is by far my favorite artist ever. Um, but then like Gregory Allen Isakov is great as well. Um, yeah, just like sad folk stuff really gets me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love to hear it. <laughs> I had to trick my brain yesterday cause I was writing for like an exam, mm-hmm. uh, that I procrastinated on. So I'm doing it this weekend. <laughs> it's due Monday at 8 PM. Oh, uh, that's good. Best yeah. Of luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I was like having trouble getting started to just actually write words down. Yeah. And so I remembered that in like high school, I used to listen to this like uh, cafe sounds and stuff. And so mm-hmm. there's this website like Coftivity or something. And it's just like mm-hmm. different cafe like sounds. And then I put that on and then it just yeah. done. Like, sure. It was so helpful. You're not listening to Mario Kart theme songs? No. <laughs> I've heard that's pretty popular now. It's from a few people that Mario they just Kart. listen to the Mario because it's instrumental. And it's just uh, sounds. Sometimes I'll listen to like movie. I love uh, movie and game soundtracks. Yeah, like mm-hmm. soundtracks. And that mm-hmm. can be nice. Although sometimes I'm like annoyed at some of the songs. I'm like, okay, like they're like running in a forest or yeah. something. And <laughs> yeah, like we yeah. get it. So repetitive. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just thinking about the like neuro part of like music and studying. Because I feel like I have a certain playlist called Deep Focus mm-hmm. that I'll mm-hmm. queue up for like any of my like really high intensity like concentration assignments like writing or mm-hmm. studying, and then, like I just know in the queue that I'm like in that elements like I tune everything out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all experience that too, but I'm wondering if that it, there's some like cue associated with learning and like what you're doing, like experience parent experience with like music. Probably I don't just like that's the way I function. It's like, I can't do some task without listening to that music. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what the mechanism, if there is one, would be. Probably like conditional learning. That's what I'm thinking. It's like Pavlovian Mm -hmm. conditioning. You're so used to studying when you hear that music that when you hear that music, you begin to study. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I'll hear it all, like when I'm not studying and like, I'll have like the bodily sensation of like. Oh, I'm stressed. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to do It's something. game time. Yeah. So, I don't know, like hype music when you're like playing sports. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. I get into the mode, but it's like yeah. that for me. It's like... Yeah, that's good stuff. Wonderful. Yeah, I think we should wrap it up. Yeah, do you guys have so. any other questions? Well, I was going to ask Gage if you have anything else you want to lay out on the table for the listener. Plugging mm-hmm. anything, any last words, advice, whatever you want. Hmm. Um, good luck. It is not <laughs> as bad as everyone is going to tell you. As long as you have a good committee, um, and you like are able to honestly, honestly, it's like, I think it's like 90% committee because mm-hmm. any of the horror stories I've heard, it's always because there was an absolute stickler on the committee who just like refused to let something go or like failed them because they didn't like one thing that they said. So realistically, if you have a committee that's made of like kind people, they're going to want you to succeed. So 
I think that's where most of it comes in. Gotcha. Awesome. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, Gage, so much. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Are we starting doing this? <laughs> that concludes today's episode. Please check the show notes for references from our fact check. Catch us at the start of each month for a new episode. And if you have any questions or inquiries, contact us at educatedbutconfused at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. You didn't like that triple berry breezer? <laughs>